Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 11 verses in chapter 1 there in Second Peter. But I want to ask you as we begin, have you ever had to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, do I have what it takes? Have you honestly ever come to a place in your life where you had to have that internal conversation. Do I have what it takes? Maybe it was the first day of varsity football practice. Maybe it was the night of your first piano recital. Maybe it was the morning of your freshman year in college. It may have been right before you said, I do. Or maybe even the moment that you laid eyes on your firstborn child. Do I have what it takes? You know, life is full of situations where we wonder if we have what it takes. And unfortunately, there are times when the answer to that question is no. Take, for instance, the fact that there are, in the United States, 14,445 high school football teams. Now, I know that probably there are people on some of those football teams that do not have aspirations to play college football. But I'll bet you that there are more that have those aspirations than not. So you have 14,445 teams full of football players, and yet there are less than 700 college football teams, including all divisions associated with four-year colleges. 14,445 teams full of players and only under 700 four-year college teams. Now, you know where I'm going next. The NFL. I can grant you that there are a lot of those players playing on those college football teams that aspire to play in the NFL. For whatever reason, maybe it's just the money or the, the prestige of being on an NFL team. So out of the less than 700 college football teams and all those football players, there are only 32 NFL football teams. So there are a lot of young people that have to 
look themselves in the mirror and answer that question by saying no. No, I don't have what it takes. Most of the people that make it big, whether it's in sports or whether it's in music or films or in the business world, most of those people talk about the fact that it takes a great amount of determination and sacrifice to make it. Not just talent, but it takes determination. It takes sacrifice. And I happen to believe that the theme of 2 Peter chapter 1 is determination and sacrifice. And so what I want us to do is to examine the first 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter 1 with this question in mind, do I have what it takes? Look there with me. Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours, to the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Verse 4. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the kingdom, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. Now this is a lot. I realize this is a pretty heavy passage. And what I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to look to a few highlights of the passage. And then I want to leave you with four applications that I think we can take right here today and apply to our present spiritual lives. The first highlight comes from the first verse. Look there, verse 1. 
Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did anything jump out at you at that verse? Did, did you catch what Peter is saying? He's saying to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours. Who's ours? It's Peter. It's the apostles. And so we have to ask ourselves, who is he talking to? Who is he talking about? Well, there is a specific audience in this letter. This letter was intended for a specific audience, but we also know that generally speaking, God's Word is His Word to us. And so, I've checked. And I've looked. And I've examined. And I've studied. And I've come to the conclusion that there is no reason at all that this passage doesn't apply to you and I. And what does that say? It says that if we've come to full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we have the same faith of equal privilege that the apostles had. I don't know if that gives you goosebumps, but it sort of gives me goosebumps. A faith of equal privilege. And so because we know now that we have a faith of equal privilege, we can't ever say, well, pastor, if I just had the faith of Abraham, well, pastor, I would do so and so if I just had the, the, the faith of Moses. Don't you ever say that. Don't you ever say if I just had the faith of John the Baptist. Don't you ever say if I just had the faith of Paul or, or Peter or Timothy. Because you do. We have a faith of equal privilege than that of the apostles. It is the same faith. The next highlight is found in some key words as Peter moves through this sermon of encouragement to all believers. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Verse 4, by these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. Now this, this next a highlight relates to some words. Some words, 
some key words in these two verses. And there are three key words that I want to I want you to key in on that. On. And that those words are first power. Power. Peter chooses to use this word power and and it's referred to God's divine power that is available not just to Peter and the apostles, not just to the original audience of this letter, but to you and to I, to me. Power. God's power. Second word I want you to key in on is promises. Promises. As in God's great and precious promises that He made to us. To you and to me. The third word I want you to key in on is everything. I love that word, everything. Not some things, not most things, but everything. Now, using those three words, I want to give you some simple math that you can take to the back. Here it is. God's power plus God's promises equal you and me having everything that we need to live a life that glorifies God. Everything. Not some things. Not most things. But everything. There are two separate stories I want to share with you that illustrate my mathematical equation. In 1982, Nick was born with a rare genetic disorder. And that rare genetic disorder caused him to be born with no arms or legs. Although Nick had two small feet attached to his torso, he had no use and no limbs. Growing up, Nick struggled emotionally and physically to accept the condition that he had. But today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Nick has what he calls, these are his words, a ridiculously good life. He said, I have a ridiculously good life. And this is what he writes. When I'm asked how I can claim a ridiculously good life when I have no arms or legs, people assume that I'm suffering from what I lack. He goes on to write, they inspect my body and wonder how I could possibly give my life to God, a God who allowed me to be born without limbs. He says, others have attempted to soothe me by saying that God has all the answers and that when I'm in heaven, I will find out his intentions. Instead, he writes, I choose to live by what the Bible says, which is that God is the answer today and always. God is the answer today and 
always. Folks, if a man born without limbs can trust in God's promises, so should we. Second story. There was a pastor that was visiting in Italy. And there he, he was came upon this grave of a man who had died centuries before. And this man was an unbeliever. He was completely against Christianity, and he was even a little afraid of Christianity. And so this man that had died had a huge stone slab put over his grave so that he would not be raised from the dead in case there really was a resurrection of the dead. He had all kinds of, of signs and markers all over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Evidently, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. And so, a hundred years later, that tiny seed had grown up through the grave and split that slab in two. It was now a tall, towering oak tree right in the middle of his grave. The pastor looked at it and asked, an interesting question. If a tiny acorn, which has power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the power of God's resurrection do in a person's life? The seed of His power and His resurrection. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is available to you and to me. So, with God's promises and with God's power, you have everything that you need in this life. And whether you use it or not is up to you. It's up to you. The last highlight that I want to draw from this passage comes from verses 5 through 7. So look there with me. Verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, Endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So, we know as we've examined this passage of Scripture that we have the same kind of faith that, that Peter and the apostles had. He adds to that faith some characteristics that are <coughs> intended to supplement our faith. Now, Instead of seeing these characteristics as, as one transforming into another, the, the, the text sort of 
as we look at it in our English language, it sort of leads us to this idea of you become this and then you become something different and, and then something different. It's almost as if a, it's a transformation process. But, but if you look at the original language, Peter would really have us see them as building blocks one building on the other. And when they're all together, they provide for us a strong foundation that can guard us from the evil desires. And so, we all, as Peter says, need to make every effort to live lives that are characterized by goodness and and knowledge, and self-control, endurance, and godliness, and brotherly affection, and love. Here's the thing about these characteristics. These characteristics are there, should be present in our lives, to keep us, not really from the world, but from the fleshly desires that live within us. One thing that all of us have to recognize is that there is an animal inside of us that wants to get out. He wants to express himself. It's the devil. It's flesh. We're born with it. We'll have it until Jesus either comes back or we are resurrected. And so in order for us to keep that flesh at bay, we have to work towards these characteristics. They don't come easy. It takes work. And so, now that we know we have the same faith as the apostles, that God's power and His promises equal everything that we need from Him, along with these characteristics that, that we need to make every effort to live out, I want to leave you with four Applications. Four applications. And here they are. Number one, no matter how hopeless it seems, we can make it. No matter how dim it looks, no matter how tough it gets, no matter how far we think we are behind, we can make it. We can make it. Now, you might not make it to the NFL. And you might not get into Princeton or, or even UGA. But you can make it. And the only race that really matters. And that's the race of life. If you haven't already experienced it, I can assure you that there will be times in your spiritual walk when the devil will try to convince you that there's no use. He'll try to convince you that there is no use because you simply don't have what it takes. And when that happens, I want to encourage you to remember my simple math. God's promises plus His power equals everything you need to make it. Second application. This one might be a little difficult to comprehend. 
Here it is. Your salvation experience, the, the decision that you made to place your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that, that moment at which you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, that salvation experience guarantees your eternal life. It guarantees your destiny to spend eternity with God in heaven. Okay, you get that part? But, your salvation experience does not guarantee your fruitfulness on the earth. Just because you came to faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you will be fruitful on the face of this earth. I, I try to explain this periodically to folks <clears throat> and help them to try to understand that, that there is a difference between my status before God and my present fellowship with Him. Are they connected? Absolutely. Absolutely they're connected. But in a sense, they're also separate. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. Hopefully this will bring some clarity. Remember, he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to people who have a faith of equal value, of equal quality than the apostles. And so this is what he says to them in verses 8 and 9. For if these qualities are yours, he's talking about those, the fruit of the Spirit is essentially, the self-control, the godliness, all those things. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you will be fruitful. If this principle were not true, then why would the Word tell us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? If this principle were not true, why would His Word tell us that we will be held accountable for what we do with the time, with the talents and the resources that He has entrusted to us? I don't know about you, but in the end, I don't want the Lord to say to me, well, Brett, you made it. And that's about all I can say about that. No. I want Him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You have been faithful. You have been fruitful. You have been useful to the kingdom of God. Third application. Usefulness. And fruitfulness require effort. Usefulness and fruitfulness require effort. In this passage, I'm not going to uh, read them to you again, but there are two separate times that Peter urges us. He says, make every effort. He doesn't say try. He doesn't say give it a go and then give up. 
He says, make every effort. Not some effort, not a little effort, not most of the effort needed. Every single effort. If you think that being a Christian should be easy, you might want to find another religion. If you think that you became a follower of Christ just so that you could be raptured before the tribulation or, or avoid eternity in hell, you better get acquainted with suffering and sacrifice real quick. Because Jesus says if you want to be a part of my fellowship, you have to be a part of the fellowship of suffering that I experience. Now, is living for Jesus rewarding? You bet your fanny it is. Absolutely it's rewarding. No doubt that it is rewarding, but it also requires effort. Let me ask you a question. Aren't most things in life that are rewarding, don't they require effort? Man, I planted a bunch of nice winter vegetables the other day. If I just sat in the house and waited for them to get weeded and watered, fertilized, you know what I'd have? Nothing. Nothing. It takes effort. Number four, and then I'm finished. I say I'm finished. I might go on another 30 minutes. <laughs> Nobody said amen. You just laugh. All right, here it is. Last one. This application is really implied because of who is writing the passage, and here it is. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Come on, somebody say amen. What was it that, that Peter is known for in the Scriptures? What is it? Is it the fact that he walked on water at least for a, a few steps before Jesus had to take hold of him? Is that what he's known for? No. No, that's not what he's known for. Is it the fact that he preached the sermon at Pentecost and saw 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Is that what Peter is known for? No. That's not what he's known for. How about the fact that he performed great miracles and healing? People tried to worship him as a god. Is that what he's known for? No. That's not it. Then what is it? What is Peter known for? Denying Jesus Christ. He's known for doing the very thing that he said out of his own mouth that he would never do. And yet, he did it. He denied Christ. And yet, God saw fit to still <clears throat> use it. Folks, you may think that your failure is fine. But it's not. Not as long as you cling to Jesus Christ, to His promises, and to His power. Because God can make all things new. He can transform what was meant for harm into what is good. Now what do all these applications tell us about the question that we've been examining? That question, 
When we look in the mirror, when we examine ourselves, and we wonder, do we have what it takes? What does all of this say to that question? I think that God is standing up in heaven. And when we're asking that question of ourselves, He's jumping up and down saying, Yes, 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 you have what it takes. You have what it takes. Now go and do it. Now do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you that because of your power and your promises and the faith that we have in you, that we have everything we need to live the life that you desire for us to live. Now the question is, will we use your power? Will we take hold of your promises? And will we work at it? Will we work hard? Will we put in the time, put in the, the, the necessary energy? Will we be willing to sacrifice? Not so that we gain salvation, but so that we become fruitful and useful in the kingdom of God. Thank you for this day that you've blessed us with, for this opportunity that you've given us. Lord, I am convinced that you have spoken to us through your word. Now it's time for us to act. And so guide us and direct us in Jesus' name.